Hello, everyone. This is Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio with my good buddy, Harry Moser from Moser on Manufacturing and Reshoring Initiative. Uh, Harry, welcome to the show again. <laughs> Lou, it's, it's great to be back. This is probably my ninth or something. I in think all so. Time. And, so I, and I still haven't gotten that T-shirt that you're wearing. Show me <laughs> Okay, I'll take shoulder, I'll take it off right now. And <laughs> <laughs> you see how, how your how your ratings go up with the women when I take the shirt off. <laughs> yeah, well, they're live at all one for the hills. Anyway, Harry, uh, it's great to have you again. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, what are we? What are you talking about today? Now we're talking about uh, the article number six in my uh, IMTS twenty article reshoring series. And the title of that article was Proposing a Goal for U.S. Manufacturing Success. So, so essentially, instead of just sort of floundering around, let's do this, let's do that, the idea is to, is to establish a goal and then knowing where we're going, that should tell us how to get there. So the focus today is where, where, where should we be going? What would be the right thing for U.S. manufacturing? Well, you you tell us. I, I've been doing this now for only 10 years. You've been doing your thing for how long? 12. All right. So we're all, so between the two of us, it's almost a quarter of a century. But my beard, my beard isn't as pretty as yours yet. Well, you're not as old as I am. Yeah, by one year. <laughs> really? Yeah. Only Seven. one year? 78, you said you were 79. 79. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should throw a party together at 157 years of input into manufacturing. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All right, Harry, let's let's get with it. So the you asked me what the goal should be. And for, for us, and I'd say for, for most, for the government, for most serious manufacturing associations, groups, it should be to reduce the $1 trillion goods trade deficit, ideally to zero, to get it down to zero. So co collectively, all countries have in, in effect a zero, but some have huge surpluses like Germany and China, and others have huge deficits and we're by far the worst. So last year was 1.1 trillion. So that's $1,100 billion of trade deficit. And that's that means we imported a trillion dollars more than we exported. Right. And that trillion dollars represents uh, to, to, to eliminate it would increase U.S. manufacturing by 40 to 50 percent. It would be five or six million U.S. manufacturing jobs. My opinion, and I've mentioned it many, many times on Manufacturing Talk Radio and so on, that our debt you ready for this? Don't don't spit out your coffee. Our debt will never be paid. There's a lot a lot of the financial investment experts that I read, people like Ray Dalio, yes. uh, John Malden, you know, very sophisticated, very confident people like that would would tend to agree with you that the uh, the the U.S. has passed the point where yes. our, our debt can be paid off. And, and the interesting thing is, when most people talk about the debt, they talk about the, the actual U.S. debt, which is like treasury bonds and such, which is, I don't know, 20, 
20, 30 trillion dollars, something like that. Right. But they but they ignore the unfunded liability for Social Security, for um, Medicare, for um, government employee retirements, all, all the state uh, you know, pension programs. And when you put all that together, you come up with something on the order of $100 trillion instead of 20. And these economists are saying 20. I don't think we'll ever pay off the 20. Well, <laughs> good luck on 100. <laughs> so so the, to most of these economists say that the most likely solution will be uh, raging inflation, which will reduce the effective value of those bonds. So if we have you know 500% inflation and everybody's wages, everything goes up by a factor of five, then the debt goes from 20 trillion down to four in effect because you're paying it off with those inflated dollars. So the people who are holding that debt are likely to get screwed. Now the the the, the people that have um, uh, social security that's indexed for inflation, they'll have to be kept whole unless they change those those laws. Let me point out to you a personal story, just as a diversion. I'm on Social Security. I get X. I have an ex-wife that I was married to for 15 years. So she gets half X. And I have a dis disabled adult daughter, and she gets half X. So I get two X. Social Security. How does that work with our government? Well, How many first, yeah, first I, I think I'd correct one of the things you said. Because that ex, your ex-wife hasn't remarried and she has access to your Social Security, I, I think she gets half of X and you get half of X. No, so, no. Go, go, get, go, check check with your accountant. Thing. No, check, check with your accountant. I bet you'll find out that you're getting half and she's getting half. Next time we talk, you tell me what you find out. I, 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 okay, I won't argue with you because you're smarter than I am. Well, <laughs> I get a whole, and my two other halves get halves. Okay, so, so that there's, being the case. there's a lot of um, cases like that where there's what I'll call leakage in the Social Security system, where there's yep. you know, people who come over here and let's say immigrants. And they come over here at the age of 50 and they work for five years in a low paid job and they get a substantial social security payment way disproportionate to what you and i get now right. I, I paid the maximum all my life and and i worked for 50 55 years paying in and, and you're a kid yeah and <laughs> and when when i in terms of what i get i'll never get back the dollars i put in much less get any income on it, interest on it. Whereas the people that were making less money or only worked a few years, they, they quickly get back what they put in. So, so you know, there's a lot of ways in which it's, in which Lou and Harry are, are, are not winning on the social security yeah, game. But, but you it know sounds what? like you're doing pretty well. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. That's okay. That's okay. I'm doing okay. You're doing okay. I'm doing but okay. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, immigrants come to. We need immigrants here. I agree entirely. We need, we need yeah. to bring over talented, skilled Ukrainians. Agree, hundred percent. So I, I'm all in favor of immigration of 
skilled people, tool makers, welders, precision machinists, programmers, entirely in favor of it. I, you, you, I just don't want it to be more of a burden on the social security system than, <laughs> than it is. <laughs> well, anyway. if one of the parties have anything to do with anything, they may do try and do away with social security. I don't think anybody, nobody, I think you all know that they all know they can't do that, right. but they, they, they nibble around the edges. They mainly, they try to tax people more Yes. or, or, or give people like Lou Weiss with really high incomes. They try to give them less than right. they would otherwise. So that, that right. tends to be, cause that's, cause it's pretty easy to attack the 1% because the 90% will support attacking the 1%. And that's why you and I will never retire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we should go back and talk about the trade deficit. Sure. So, the, okay. uh, so uh, as I pointed out, uh, eliminating it would increase U.S. output by 40 or 50%. And 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 the, the, the value of that is... Um, it can be seen in and reducing the budget deficit. All those people working, paying good good manufacturing jobs, paying taxes. The owners of their companies paying taxes. Budget deficit comes down. That helps. Yeah. Um, not having the huge trade deficit. That means we don't have those trillions of dollars sitting offshore, especially in China, that eventually they can claim our our assets for. Um, reduces em, uh, emissions making it here instead of making it there and shipping it here reduces the emissions and, and for the country just being um just being self-sufficient today especially given the you know the issues we see in the world with russia china etc just 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 being self-sufficient either within the country or or including say mexico and canada there's a lot of a lot of uh, I'll, I'll sleep easier at night when i know that the u.s could survive without China, without Russia, without some, some of the places you don't want to depend on. Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> talked about uh, the reshoring of a quarter of a million jobs a year. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that for a minute. So it, it happened last year, two, two, yes. 260,000 by our count. Uh, right. Let's say announcements of 260,000. So uh, some of the biggest pieces of that, or let's say almost all the biggest pieces of that were these chip foundries, EV battery plants, uh, big, big things for some big pharma projects. So uh, some hydrogen production, you know, green hydrogen for cars. And, and when, when you get those big plants, the gigafactory kind of thing, they announce them, they commit to them today, and they, a lot of people get jobs doing construction, but the manufacturing people often aren't hired until a year or two years from now. So the so the actual employment in manufacturing is we 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 figure is delayed a year or two from the announcement. Right. Because okay? right. otherwise, if it was two hundred fifty thousand actual increase this year, then then the uh, uh, unfilled manufacturing jobs number would be even bigger than it is. So, so in, in effect, that gives the communities, the workers, you know, so on, time to respond to get more kids trained and be, be available. One of the things that I've been researching uh, on a personal level with regards to energy 
uh, and it, we're, we're, we're going to start seeing and hearing a lot more about this, and that is wave technology. There's not a lot of talk about this. <clears throat> wave technology doesn't require sun, wind, oil, gas, but wave technology uh, in Europe, particularly right now in Norway, is now representing about 10% of the country's energy with a very low cost. This is something that this country really need. you know, thank goodness they're now uh, with the new bill that was just passed, you know, we're going to have our own chip factories. I, I, I forgot the number. I think it's something like $2 billion uh, so that we don't have to buy those from China. More, more like 50 billion. Thank you. Fifty billion, <laughs> no, two billion, fifty billion. That's yeah, pretty soon. You're talking about real money. Yeah, right. <laughs> but wave technology—you'll never run out of waves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I've been reading about it for decades. Is it? And it sounds like you're saying that over in Europe, it's actually happening and it's successful. It is happening. It yeah. is happening. Uh, Norway is actually the leader. Mm -hmm. uh, with wave technology and the technology itself, I've done some reading on it. Uh, it it's it's really mind blowing on how they do it. You know the waves. You know it, it keeps the uh, turbines running, and they actually they have a turbine in the East River of New York City that they've been experimenting with. And about every three or four months, they have to take the turbine out of the water because it's beat to hell because of all the stuff that's all the garbage that's floating down the river. Garbage, <laughs> telephone poles, bodies. Bodies, bodies. Bodies, yeah. bodies. bodies <laughs> is a real problem in New York. Yeah. <laughs> Guess how it would be in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, really, really. I'm not sure they have that much in the way of waves, but. Uh, yeah. We we have to be looking at new ways, new waves or yeah. ways yeah. to develop technology, bring in the people, be it immigrants, be it uh, college kids, and teach them about what they need to do to go forward and earn a good living, good money, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Interestingly, I, I saw the results of a study that said that they compared the uh, the talents or skills of students like math, science, English, whatever you to the uh, to their uh, awareness of occupations. Right. A and uh, manufacturing had one of the worst outcomes because <laughs> of of the students who had the skills that would make them a good manufacturer, certain math, et cetera. Um, they only a third of them were aware of manufacturing as a career. Yes. Whereas if you took something like uh, art and music, then then the number who were aware of the career was three times the number that had skills. <laughs> so there are a lot of any... wannabe artists, but there aren't many wannabe uh, machinists. Do you have any idea how many people are going to? college for film editing <laughs> way too many <laughs> it's huge uh, actually similar with with journalism so 
I get interviewed. I just got interviewed a couple of days ago by the Wall Street Journal. In fact, an article supposed to be coming out tomorrow. And uh, yeah, may, maybe in the digital issue, I'm not sure. But the um, typically when I'm talking to a reporter, especially from a small, like the Picayune Gazette, you know, that kind of place. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and like us. Uh, no, no, not, nothing like as fancy as you are, but I'll, I'll have just an average kind of reporter out there and, and hoping up skilled workforce. I say, you know, it's really hard to get the kids to, into into becoming tool makers and welders, precision machinists and making 50, $100,000 a year because they, they all think they're going to make they're going to become reporters and make the big bucks. Yeah. And the reality is that now with print in decline, most of those reporters at the small places aren't making much anything at all, and they'd be better off if they were toolmakers and welders. Correct. They all wind up on CNN. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, an underwater welder starting right out of school earns $150,000. Oh, yeah. Now, that's a tough job, huh? Yeah, you bet. You need skill, and you're sort of risking your life when you're down there doing Every that. time. Yeah. yeah. Now, they deserve it. Saying, yeah. They do. Let, let, let's go back a little bit to the jobs and the, you know, the, the model that I see get, getting to, to, to a consistent uh, net addition to the U.S. of 250,000 jobs a year, which I think is as much as our workforce system can handle. Um, it, to, put, to put the numbers in, in perspective, we're still probably offshoring 100,000 jobs a year. There's work going to Mexico, there's work going to China, there's work going to India, you know, so somewhere or other, there's, there's some stuff that's that's moving out, and uh, and so we would like to get the the rate coming back in to say three hundred thousand. That would give us net two hundred thousand. And if we do that, we could if if we've done it by making the U.S. more competitive, better skilled workforce, lower dollar, things like that. Then we ought to be able to increase exports by fifty thousand jobs a year. Mm -hmm. So, so 300,000 more reshoring in FDI plus 50 on exports, you're up to 350, lose 100 to offshoring. So now we've got a net of 250. So that's the, that's the model I'd like to see. And if we do that, then in 20 years, we'll bring back the 5 million jobs that's required to balance the goods trade deficit. <laughs> okay, so, so we're not talking about tomorrow. We're not talking. People say, Harry, you can't get that done in a week. No, I'm going to get it done in 20 years if I'm lucky. But just just for our audience, manufacturing at one point was 40 million, and now we're at 11. Yeah, and and, and put it even bigger perspective. It used to it's used to be, I don't know, 30 percent of total employment, and now it's like eight or nine percent of yes. total employment. And you know, some economists, some pundits. Some talking heads would say, well, that always happens to the, the high income places, the developed countries, because you shove all that dirty work off, off to the Chinese and the Indians. Right. But, but the Germans, it's, if, if, we're, if it's 9% of our employment, it's 20% or 25% of theirs. For the Japanese, it's 18. For the South Koreans, it's 18 or 20. So it's very possible. I mean, even the French, I think it's a higher percentage than it is for us. And so, they drink a lot. And they drink, maybe that makes them good, good programmers. I don't know, but, but, but it's entirely possible. It's, it's very feasible for a country to be strong manufacturing, even when it has uh, high income and it being a, a really developed country like the United States. 
We have, uh, needless to say, we've got lots of problems and lots of issues. Uh, we have a divided political system right now, and that certainly works against us in many ways. Uh, and um, I'm hopeful that they, we can ultimately all come together and realize that it takes both halves to make all this work together. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm trying to discuss with the Biden administration all the time and communicate with them. Like, you know, eventually we're going to have a show on my hearing that was down in, in Washington, D.C. on June 9th. And, uh, and they, they listen, they politely listen. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the problem is that there's a hundred Harry Mosers of various kinds and Lou Weisses coming to them with ideas. And, and then they already have their ideas. So for the, for the being one of a hundred trying to give them something, it's so easy for them to ignore and, yeah. and focus on something else. And so well, all you can do, all I can do is keep, keep pitching. You know? Just keep pounding the door. <laughs> yep. I, I get that. And, you know, I, I enjoy what I do and I like getting the message out <laughs> to the people. And I, I certainly welcome your joining us in getting this message out. So Harry, what's the next step? Oh, I should remember. I don't remember. Uh, pretty, pretty soon, pretty soon we're going to get on to um, uh, what the country has to do to become competitive enough. And specifically what, what the U.S. has to do what states and communities can do, especially skilled workforce, what what OEMs can do, you know, the big companies, the GM kind of people, what the contract manufacturers, the supply chain companies, companies like yours, what they need to do. And uh, and, and there's there's lots they can do. We, we say that the playing field is tilted. The US is at a cost disadvantage, but even in that condition, if the companies are smart, they they do the math correctly, they do good training, they do automation, that they can still win, they can still bring lots of work back. So we're, we're going to show them how. One of the things that uh, I picked up on this past week with the passing of the new, uh, uh, new bill that the Biden administration <laughs> has passed, where they want to uh, tax corporations, the large corporations who pay no tax, and they want to collect uh, a minimum tax. I don't remember if it's 10% or 15%. 15, 15%. So why not give them the benefit? Don't make it 15%. Make it 10 or 12, but of the, the leftover to use that money to reinvest instead of having the government do it. The government doesn't do a good job. In my I agree. Opinion. I agreed. You got it? They don't yeah. do a good job of handling money. No. So let the corporation give them a benefit. Keep your 15%, take 10% of it and reinvest it, put in uh, training programs, teach the kids how to do this, that, and the other thing. It's going to go a lot better than giving it to Uncle Sam. Because yeah. you give it to Uncle Sam and he hires a thousand bureaucrats like, like they're going to hire. 80,000 IRS agents, all, no, of whom, really. all, all of whom are going to be looking at Lou Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not getting, they're not getting squat from me because I got nothing compared to the big guys. <laughs> but they're, they're going to hire lots and lots of federal employees 
Yes. And, that, and, and then they get state employees out there to, and then and almost all the money winds up going into that bureaucracy yes. instead, instead of getting to the actual in, in, to funding apprenticeships to, to helping companies buy equipment to helping companies go lean it, it, it winds up being there's a, a lot of friction being wasted and all the money flowing around here and and so I, I like your idea but but the companies are already doing a pretty good job on workforce and 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 there's the investment, for example, in machine tools, the first four or five months of this year were setting records, the sales records. of machine tools. Okay. Records. So the com companies have been doing a pretty good job. And, and I believe that you're instead of instead of saying keep two percent and you gotta hire more, well, how do how do you know what what what's the basis from which you compare the the increase? That's a tough thing. But I, I think I think the government should be leveling the playing field so that companies understand that if they invest in the U.S., they'll get the best return on investment they can get anywhere in the world. And so, so I, th I think the effort should be to, to, to creating a, you know, an environment in which companies will be focused on growth and hiring and investment. And, and, and I believe that will work. Well, part of, the, part of the problem is not even so much the companies as it is Wall Street. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. The shareholders, return on investment, they'll absolutely have a, I can't say it because it's, it's going to be dirty. Uh, they, they need to invest the money back into the system and not give it as much to the shareholders. Yeah, I, I agree. The, um, uh, but 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 when the companies see that they can get a good return on investment, when they see that that our cost structure is such that if 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 a shop like yours puts another five million dollars into new equipment, that you'll get a good return on investment, I believe you'll do it, and you'll yes. be able to borrow the money to do it. So first, you've got to level the playing field. Then you have to have reshoring coming back. So I'm doing a paper on this actually that says this is the right time. For, for capital investment because capital investment accelerates when companies ca capacity utilization gets to 80% and above when they're busy because when they're busy they need more capacity and they're making money because they're busy and they can afford more capacity okay so we're right at that 80% node right now reshoring is bringing the jobs back and we'll keep that going so the capacity utilization ought to keep going up the uh, we still have the 100% uh, immediate expensing this year. So companies out there, if you buy capital equipment, get it installed this year, you can write the whole thing off this year. Right. Right. Whereas next year, it's going to be 80% and the year after that, 60%. So, so we've got, I've got an article coming out that's going to list three or four factors like that that says you're never going to have a better time than right now to invest in capital equipment and get this thing going. And and if you do that, and and you you expand and you get you get more productive, then your costs come down. Then you can reshore more, and the thing and we have a virtuous cycle, and things are like this, and and the world and the U.S. is is just cracking again, and and that's what that's what you and I are going to do for them, Lou. So what I want you to do is send me a copy of your article so I can put it in Manufacturing Outlook Easing, and to get the message out to even that many more people. 
Okay, it is, it's, okay, I'm not sure if it's done. It might be a week or two away from being done. No problem. It'll be on my list to get to you. Yeah. Thank you. So what's next? <laughs> As I said, we're going to go next into, into what, uh, what, what everybody can do to, to make this happen. Now, one, one thing for everybody who's listening out there, in addition to being a manufacturer, you're a consumer. And if every time you go into a store and you look for something and you, and you don't find anything made in USA, go to the customer service desk and say, I want to buy a hammer but I can't find a hammer there made in the United States. Would you get some U.S. hammers? And if, if enough of us come to them and say, I want to buy something made in you, I'll pay a little more, I'll pay 20% more, I'll do whatever, as long as it's good quality made in USA. <clears throat> so so I, I think all of us, if we wear our hats as a as a voter, you know, to get good, good, good legislation passed, as a manufacturer, as a buyer and seller in manufacturing, to give it a... a given the domestic product a chance as a consumer, if we buy the made in USA product and ask for it anytime we can, it's going to be great. Well, you know, the previous administration instituted tariffs on imports. Basically what they did was they instituted tariffs on the American public which of course had a negative effect on inflation and so on and so forth. Why not institute quotas so that the American public is not being taxed, which causes inflation and then maybe even ultimately a recession, put a quota. We, don't, we, we only want X number of hammers coming from China. We don't wanna charge the American public 10 bucks tax on that hammer. Harry? Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I, uh, for, for we disagree to some extent on this one. I'm, I'm in favor of a value-added tax, which, okay. would which would apply a tax uniformly to everything coming in. So, so that the, the steel would be taxed, but so would the hammers and the parts made out of steel, and therefore, having the steel price here a little higher wouldn't put you at a disadvantage because the steel forgings coming in from offshore would also have a value added tax. And so things would stay in proportion. The, the, prob the big problem with the steel tariffs that Trump put on were that he applied them to the steel, but not to the products made out of steel, okay? So, so I think there's, there's ways to have tariffs, value added tax, that if you do it uniformly applies to all products from all countries forever, which is what all the other countries do. Yes. And they get away with it and it works fine. Then if we do that, it'll make our products relatively more competitive. But if you, um, anyway, that, that, that's my view of it. And do you, uh, do you, do you yeah. feel as though that it's the uh, exporting company, a country importing into the US should be taxed or should the American public be taxed? Well, in the value added tax, the I think I, I can't remember whether the seller or the buyer pays the tax, but in effect, it, it, it will have an impact on the price here in the United States. Absolutely. Inevitably, it will. But you've got to tax something. And, and, it, and I'd say if you have a choice, should I tax work, savings, investment, or should I tax uh, imports? 
I would tax imports. <laughs> yeah, but you know? in this particular case, the, tar the Trump administration mm -hmm. put a tariff on imports, not only yeah. China, but others. But yeah. it's the American public, the mm -hmm. American companies. There are certain products you can't buy here. You have to buy imports. I, now I, we have to pay a tax on that. I understand. The uh, I've seen some studies. Again, I, I'm not here to defend the tariffs. I, I didn't support them, especially at the time. And I'm not here to beat them up. Okay, but 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 I have seen studies that say that when the tariffs, specifically the China Section 301 tariffs, were put in effect, yeah. that it had no impact on consumer prices. The consumer prices specifically, you know, there was no blip, there was no step like that when when the tariffs went in, that things just continued on in the way they were going. So now, now you can get three different PhD economists to do three different studies and come up with different answers. But, and, but that, and you'll get my fourth opinion, <laughs> and I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what makes our discussions good. Right? That's right. I, I'm not agreeing <laughs> with my guest. Yeah, if we were going to agree on everything, you wouldn't need me here. This is true. Harry, <laughs> <is> <laughs> it's wonderful having you here all the time. Yep. And you're going to be here in a month from now. Of course. Of course. And anybody out there, uh, I'll be at IMTS all six days. And we're going to have a uh, the onshoring project uh, booth near the Gardner booth. I'll be speaking at the uh, in the conferences that are happening. We're having a, a onshoring project symposium Friday morning. Uh, we're, we're announcing the National Metalworking Reshoring Award Friday afternoon. Uh, I'm having a press conference. We're doing all kinds of good things. I, I'm going to be a busy beaver there at IMTS. And uh, if any of you, you, you can find all that on our website. And any of you that are going to IMTS and if you if you show up at one of my events, I'd, I'd be delighted to see you, and we can we can tell stories about Lou. <laughs> and your <laughs> website address is reshorenow.org. Okay, Harry, have a great show at IMTS, and uh, we'll see you in a month. Bye, Lou. Take care, buddy. Yep. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Harry is. Uh, we're going to make a star out of him even bigger than he already is. And uh, if you uh, you know us, I suggest that you go to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We have four or five other podcast video podcasts uh, of different slices of manufacturing. We have WAM, Women in Manufacturing, Cliff Notes, Manufacturing Matters, and one or three others. So, you know, come and see us at jacketmediacode.com and you can see them all. You could even see Harry. <laughs> Harry, thanks a lot, buddy. Bye, Lou. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye bye. bye. Next time. You bet. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.